Welcome to the Insurgents Podcast with Frank Viola. And he's brought a friend. This is the podcast that supplements Frank's groundbreaking book, Insurgents, Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom, which is shaking up the Christian world. You can find out details about the book at insurgents.org. Sit back, open all four ears, physical and spiritual, and join the insurgents. Here's Frank. The next reference, the next mention of the kingdom in the Gospels, and that is found in Mark 12. And so we'll begin with verse 31. This shows up in all the the Gospels where uh, a scribe is challenging Jesus about the great commandments. And Jesus is going to mention the kingdom in verse 34. Um, do, you, do you want me to read the text this time, Frank, to get this going? Or uh, Yeah, yeah. And this, this is one of my favorite passages, so I'm really grateful for the chance to, to do this one with you, Frank. I, I really love this text. Um, and it's, it's familiar if, if you've read the Bible before. Uh, it's the place where you, we really get the Jesus creed. It's the love God, love your neighbor. But let, let's listen to how this gets unpacked. And I guess my Bible I have here, I have a new Revised Standard Version, so I want to read it out of that. It's not too much different than most other English translations. One of the scribes came near and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, he asked him, Which commandment is the first of all? And Jesus answered, The first is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Then the scribe said to him, you're right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and beside him there is no other. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, this is much more important than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You're not far from the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. After that, no one dared to ask him uh, any questions. So you have um, Jesus reiterating really the core of the Old Testament. We think about uh, like what's a kingdom ethic. Um, uh, Love the Lord your God with all that you are. Love your neighbor as yourself. Um, Listeners, if you want to know where those come from, the love the Lord your God, hero Israel. That's Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. That's called the Shema um, among the, the Jewish tradition. And then the love your neighbor as yourself also, believe it or not, comes from the Old Testament. It comes from Leviticus of all places, Leviticus 19.18. And so the Old Testament teaches the love of God and uh, the love of neighbor. And Jesus is all Jesus is teaching essentially falls in line with that. You know, I love this, these texts because this gives us a kind of a simple way. Again, I know that uh, in your work, you're, we're always trying to avoid those two extremes of um, legalism and then uh, being a libertine. So mm-hmm. um, either believing that, you know, you have to follow a bunch of rules or believing that there's no rules. And in a sense, this gives it this 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 makes the rules at least easy to understand. They still have to be applied. And, you know, as you always teach so well in the book, you have to, you know, the Lord will reveal specific applications of those. But those are the real principles. And, you know, one of the ways of reading the scriptures, um, we were talking about this at lunch. Again, you can read um, Jesus all the way through the scriptures, which is clearly a piece. Um, Augustine, uh, who was an early church uh, leader, lived uh, approximately 400 um, 
400 AD, uh, he used um, these two commands as, um, as a way to read the Bible too. He said, you haven't exhausted or even perhaps even completely understood a text until you understand how the text helps you to love God more profoundly and then love our neighbor as ourselves. And so this scribe who's talking to Jesus um, is all happy um, that Jesus gets this. So, so at some level, everything that Jesus said is in continuity with um, what the religious leaders of the time would have said. But notice what this, um, this when Jesus says to him, you're not far from the kingdom, you know, what's he, what's he getting at? He doesn't say you're in the kingdom, right? That's right. He says you're not far. The, in, the interesting insight that this um, scribe has is, and again, the text doesn't say anything of this, but notice he says that, that little phrase in verse 33, this is much more important than all the whole burnt mm-hmm. offerings and sacrifices, right? You know, you know, like, where did he get that from? But so that's that's what Jesus is actually reacting to, that there's something bigger going on or something more important than just an external kind of religious system. It's a question of allegiance that I've made God my one and only. That's how I like to think about the great command. The Lord is our God the Lord is my one and only, and my whole response is to give all of myself to God and then to recognize that I'm going to extend that out to other people. I'm going to love my neighbor as myself. And so Jesus can say to him, you're not far from the kingdom. So what's it mean that he's not far? It's, the guy doesn't follow Jesus. But this is really interesting. What it shows, though, is that um, Jesus is in full continuity with the Old Testament. So it's this. So the people that rejected Jesus, even in his own day, weren't rejecting Jesus necessarily because he taught something that was different in the Old Testament. It ends up being that either that they were they were literally just spiritually blinded or they in some level they were just they had ill will towards him because they he was a threat to them. A lot of it was jealousy. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. the scriptures tell us that. Yeah, yeah. So I mean that's that that's that's a little bit I want to hear what you think about that. Then I want I can say I love this text. I could talk a lot about <laughs> uh, about this passage. So I got some interesting applications of these of well, this good. text. Two things stand out to me. One is, when you read the New Testament carefully, the Gospels and the Epistles, you find it said over and over again that all of the law and the prophets are fulfilled by this thing called love. And the way Jesus put it, he used a little different terminology, but in Matthew seven twelve, he said, Do unto others what you would have others do unto you, and this fulfills the law and the prophet. So if you could take the 613 laws in the Old Testament and distill them down to one thing, it's love God and flowing out of that, love others, yeah. right? Yeah. Now, Paul repeats this in the New Testament. He basically says that love is the fulfillment of the law. I think that's profound because what it does is it distills... So many things that Christians are trying to accomplish, trying to fulfill, trying to achieve, down to just two things, love God and love others. Because if you do that, you fulfill all 613 laws, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think this also shows up in James. It's not just Paul. It's not just Jesus. It's a repeated, consistent echo throughout the New Testament. Now, taking it a step further, what is love? Well, we are told that God is love. Yes. And Jesus is the incarnation of love. And the nature of his life, which the New Testament talks an awful lot about, particularly the book of John and then the letters of Paul and then the letters of John, the nature of God's life, divine life, his nature, can be described with the word love. What is the nature of God's life do? It loves others. It, on the one hand, 
lays its own life down and sacrifices itself and then it benefits others. Love is benefiting others at the expense of ourself. So within that very term, you have the principle of the cross. I lay my life down, but I give unto others and I benefit them at the expense of myself. So if love fulfills all of God's commandments, right? If the nature of love, if the divine nature is love, that's what the life of Christ is then my task as a disciple of Jesus is really very simple. And that is to learn how to let Jesus Christ, who is love, yes. his nature, his indwelling life is love, to allow him to live through me. Hence, we have Paul's statement, it is not I, but Christ who lives through me. Paul says in Romans 8, we live by the Spirit. So this is why in my ministry, I make such a big deal out of learning how to live by the indwelling life of Christ. How do I get out of the way to let Jesus live his life through me by the indwelling spirit? Because if he's living through me, what does that look like? It looks like loving God and loving others. I can't really love others in my own power, in my own strength, you know, because human nature is very self-seeking. We live by self-preservation. That's the impulse of human nature, right? Selfishness, basically, the flesh. The flesh is selfish, but the life of God, the life of Christ is love. So when I look at this passage, this just reminds me of what life in the kingdom of God is. Life in the kingdom of God, the whole quote-unquote Sermon on the Mount. It's all about loving God and loving others, in particular loving the brethren, loving those who share the life of Christ. This is the great argument of 1 John. The great argument of 1 John is that God is life, God is love. The way that that life manifests itself, the indwelling life of Jesus Christ, is to love the brethren. So it comes down to this for me. Life in the kingdom of God is learning how to live by the indwelling life of Jesus Christ, which is a life of love. And therein lies the rub. How do we do that? And so I've dedicated most of my ministry, most of my spiritual life, actually, and the ministry comes out of it, on answering that question. Not I, but Christ who lives in me. Okay, where's the key that unlocks that? How does that happen? And so I think there's a big difference between trying to love people, which is not going to get you very far, versus getting out of the way, laying our life down, and letting Christ love through us. And I think that's really what a disciple is. Someone is learning how to live by the life of Christ individually and corporately. And I think that the kingdom of God operates by this divine energy called the life of Christ or the spirit of God. How do I know I really love God? How do I know I really love my neighbor? And sometimes it's good to think about what the opposite is. And I always ask folks, um, you know, what's the opposite of loving God? And, you know, the typical answer is, well, that would be hating God. And I'm like, no, that's not actually the opposite. It's um, the opposite is indifference. And, and what indifference to loving God is in the Old Testament context, because you go back to that Shema passage, it's um, hero Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And, you know, and I think that you know, or it could be the Lord alone or the Lord is my one and only. Those are some different ways of talking about it. The whole issue is there's options. <laughs> to substitute anything else for, for God is that in that love thing, it's called idolatry. And we're back to what one of the f things you talk about a lot in insurgents, the danger of idolatry. And that that's actually the opposite of loving God. Because, you know, when the Israelites in the Old Testament, when they practiced idolatry, it wasn't that they didn't believe in Yahweh the, or the Lord. It wasn't that they still didn't show up and make sacrifices. Mm. But what, what were they doing? They were doing 
stuff with other gods too. And so, you know, so the opposite of loving God, and you know, we love God by, again, the key thing is you, you have to get rid of and don't tolerate any of the other webs of allegiances that we might have mm-hmm. in our lives and put them all under the lordship of King Jesus. That's why you have those superlatives. Love the Lord. Be faithfully committed to the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. And that's talking about that's the whole human person there. And I think I think I saw this language in Insurgents. If not, you can correct me. But I think you use the language of being all in. We want to be all in for mm-hmm. the kingdom. And so we have to get all of the idolatry out of our lives so that we can love God fully. And then, you know, what's the opposite of loving neighbor? You know, it probably is closer to hating neighbor at some level, but it's really um, objectifying or taking advantage of your neighbor, which is, that's injustice. And so, you know, idolatry and injustice, which in those, we don't, we, our culture talks a lot about justice these days. We can talk about exactly whether that's a biblical piece or not. That's not a conversation for today, but we do hear that word a lot, but we don't hear idolatry. But those two things go together. Loving God is about getting rid of the idols and false allegiances and the mixed things that we have. Like we, you alluded, yeah, when we were talking about the triumphal entry, there were flags that said things, you know, like, um, Jesus is my Lord, Trump is my president. And again, I'm not going to be overtly political, but that's a very strange statement mm. that where you're, where you're basically having mixed loyalties in some mm. ways, or you see, I'm going to take the capital with the Christian flag. You have these mixing of mm-hmm. things. That's idolatry, essentially. That's mm. one of the real dangers that we've falsely made our identity as U.S. citizens and made that equal being followers of Jesus and citizens of the kingdom. We've mixed those over. That's yes. that, that, that's an example of idolatry. So like if we do that, we actually don't love God with all our heart, soul, and strength. We've made a false equivalence. We got to get God on top of that as, as a first case. And then when we look around, you know, love your neighbor as yourself, the whole scriptures um, are all about expanding the definition of a neighbor because we have a tendency to make, you know, who's our neighbor? Oh, it's the people I like, or it's the people who believe like I do or look like I do or from my same um, ethnic group or from my same, you know, Christian tribe. Jesus explodes all that in his parables and extends that idea of justice um, for everyone, right? Mm -hmm. And so, we have to be really subtle and reflective. This is where, again, it gets back to spiritual practices. A couple episodes ago, we talked about you know becoming good soil. We have to be really attentive in our own hearts. You know, less Jesus come to us and say, "Hey, Frank," or "Hey, Brian." Pretty good answer, but you're not far from the kingdom. Yeah, instead, right. you know, right? That's what yeah. that's what we want. We, so we we have to open ourselves up. Like I said, to the Spirit's work by willingly. Like I ask myself, you know, a lot in what ways. Don't I love God? What areas of my life? What areas of my life don't I love my neighbor? And then also, I need to. Sometimes it, it's a subtle. It's love your neighbor as yourself. And you know, this, the text doesn't emphasize that piece. But we want to recognize here that a lot of folks we can't keep those commands because we try to love our neighbor more than we love ourselves, and that's how you get burned out spiritually too. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so we have to, Bernard de Clairvaux, I don't know if you mind me bringing an old, old, really old saint in. Uh, Just don't call him Saint Bernard. Yeah, that's right. He's not a dog. He's not a cute dog <laughs> with a little barrel under his, uh, a barrel of whatever for people to get stuck in the mountains. But Bernard de Clairvaux has this um, wonderful metaphor um, for the spiritual life. Um, he says that, that what we need to be is um, reservoirs. 
You know, when you love God, love neighbor as yourself, you're a reservoir. And what he means by that is he contrasts that with being a canal or a channel, he says. In in other words, he says a lot of folks try to live the Christian life. And he was specifically talking to, in those days, they were priests and and spiritual leaders. This is back and this is a long time ago when there was only the Catholic Church, basically. So he said a lot of people tried to serve God in ways that they loved others more than themselves, and they were more like a canal. In other words, uh, in a canal in his day, it wasn't like, a, you know, like I grew up in Ohio, we had the Ohio Erie Canal, was always full of water, but what he meant was, um, we call it a storm sewer, something that only has water in it after a storm, and then the water races through, and then guess what, it's all dry. And that's, and sometimes, you know, we try to live out these commands out of our own strength and not on the spirit. And so, you know, we have to, we only, we literally give as soon as we get, where he says instead, what we want is to build a robust life in which we're reservoirs. And in those days, you know, we have reservoirs with water wherever you get your your, your water here in the United States or, or in other countries have reservoirs. But in those days, they'd have been up on a hill, right? Mm-hmm. And so he has a picture of the true life of the spirit, the true life of loving God, loving neighbor takes place when you're a reservoir, meaning it flows over the banks and that's what you minister out of because you're so full of the spirit yes. so full of love and god that it's an abundance of that and that's what it would really looks like to love your neighbor as yourself versus loving your neighbor more than yourself so we build up you know spiritual lungs we build up a, a robust strength so that we're reservoirs fully committed to God, get all the idolatry out of our life, and then out of the complete abundance of overflow of grace that comes into our life through the Holy Spirit, um, we love and serve other people. You can almost say this is like the, this is the teaching that you want to see. And, uh, you know, the scribe almost had it right. But the question is almost, and, you know, I want all of our listeners not to be, not to hear, you're not far from the kingdom, but welcome into the kingdom, right? That's right. We enter the kingdom now, and God willing, by his mercy and grace, we inherit the kingdom tomorrow. I think it's a blight on the Christian world when God's people are expressing hostility, vitriol, anger against their fellow believers over doctrinal differences, theological differences, and especially political differences. Yeah. I wrote a book about this not long ago called Regrace, and um, unfortunately, it's not sold very well because Christian people, by and large, seem to enjoy fighting with fellow believers over disagreements. And what's even worse is when you have God's people, people who proclaim the name of Jesus, fighting, attacking, being hostile to those in the world who disagree. And so when I look at that passage, and we have to ask, What if every believer walked in this, loving God, and as an outflow of that, and actually as a a measure of reality, loving others, especially their fellow believers, 1 John, Galatians 6, what would the world look like? Very different from what it looks like today. It's a sobering discovery and one that makes us sad and one that challenges all of us, how we treat other believers, especially 
and then how we treat other people when we disagree with them or when they do things that we don't approve of. I think that's the real test of love. It's easy to love people who are like you, who believe like you do, who align themselves with your viewpoints and your practices and what you hold dear, but the real test is when they disagree with you. So, Brian, I just want to say here publicly, um, even though that, you know, I think that you're a heretic and wrong in most of your theological <laughs> views, I still love you. Okay. I, know, I appreciate that. <laughs> this is this is like a mutual thing. We both have are really suspicious. Of <laughs> it's really good, and it, you know, I think you know. I even one of the cool things that I really like about these two commands, when you think about it, is it's. And this is the challenge of our day, even on the divisiveness. Everybody's really good at drawing boundaries and saying what they're against. Yes, but Christians are for something. Mm-hmm. And this is the, this gives us the four. We're for the love of God and the love of neighbor. And yeah, are there other th- are there things that yeah that, that there's implications that maybe we could, could phrase negatively? Certainly, if if we want to be persons who are kingdom people, we have to reclaim a robust way of describing what we're actually for in powerful ways, and then being willing to pay the cost to live that out. Yeah, and the four is not just the political hot button of the day or the political issue or the policy. Yeah. It's the kingdom of God, yes. and it's the person of Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Folks, that's what we are focused on. That's what the early Christians were interested in. That's what they gave their lives for. That's why they were insurgents. That's what they were radicalized to. And so I made this statement in a previous podcast, but we live in a cancel culture. I would challenge everyone listening, cancel your subscription to the world system. Cancel your allegiance to the political system. And you may want to think about canceling your membership to engaging in debates on social media with Christians and non-Christians. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's great advice. And you know, we made some political statements uh, today, but in a sense, um, we're not advocating the opposite political party either, because we can make the same criticism of the um, of of what, whichever side was in power. Absolutely. We just had this. We just simply have an illustration of of the current administration Very right current. now. That we're not here to automatically think, oh, we've just lost the the, the evil party. Now the other party's coming in. Um, all parties have their um, strengths and weaknesses, and Christians have to have their ultimate allegiance to the kingdom. Period. That's right. And our hope isn't and uh, you know obviously we hope that the, if you're a U.S. citizen that the new administration does really well really hope and pray and pray for uh, uh, the administration but we know our hope is ultimately in the Lord Jesus Christ who's king who rode in on a donkey <laughs> that's it Amen. and died on a cross that's it that's right right there and therein lies the power of the kingdom of God I want to end this by just going through some action terms for the kingdom in the Gospels to kind of give us a picture of how the kingdom is used in the Gospels and the 88 distinct references to God's kingdom in uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And uh, this is also a a supplemental PDF on the Insurgents uh, book website. But just listen to these action words, and I'll emphasize the actual action word, okay? We enter the kingdom. We see the kingdom. We receive the kingdom. The kingdom belongs to us. The kingdom is like many different things. Some people aren't far from the kingdom. We wait for the kingdom. The kingdom is ours. O-U-R-S. The kingdom is coming. The kingdom has come. We seek the kingdom. We are subjects of the kingdom. The kingdom is near or at hand. Some people are least in the kingdom. Some people are great in the kingdom. We come into the kingdom. 
The kingdom is taken away from Israel and given to the nations. Some people shut out others from the kingdom. The kingdom is prepared for us. The kingdom is given to us. The keys of the kingdom have been given. The king shall come into his kingdom. His kingdom shall not end. He spoke about the kingdom. He proclaimed the kingdom. Some people are not fit for the kingdom. The kingdom is in your midst. The kingdom does not come with observation. Do this for the sake of the kingdom. We are disciples of the kingdom. The kingdom appears. Some things will be weeded out of the kingdom. Those are direct quotes from, from the Gospels, just giving us an idea of how the word kingdom is used yeah. in the context of the kingdom of God and in relation to us. Now, it's so helpful just to hear all those texts. It just makes it, and again, I just want to say, that's one of the things I really appreciate about your work and why really it's, it's really easy to work with you because you're, you're, a, you're a Bible guy. And you just, uh, let you, let, let's get the text out there and let's build our ideas on the text. So good. So good just yeah. to hear the word. If you're a Bible guy, if you're a Bible girl, then you're a Jesus guy, a Jesus girl. That is the person to whom the Bible points. Amen. All right. We'll see you next time. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Insurgents Podcast and give it a five-star review on iTunes. This will help others find it. Also, you can join Frank's unfiltered email list at frankviola.org and receive encouragement, challenges, and insights connected to the gospel of the kingdom. Remember, the insurgence has begun. Don't miss it.